Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 3. Leave your Bible open, page 997 when you get there. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter number 3, verse number 16. I'm going to be reading quite a bit of scripture tonight. And so I want you just to hang on. If you'd like to get the notes that are available, I think we still got some up here. Matthew chapter number 3. Let's begin reading verse number 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now I want you to make note of that. What, this is a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you're accustomed to marking or highlighting your Bible, you want to highlight that. That become one of the most critical points in the life of the Lord. Notice the next word of chapter number 4. And then, 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 if you were reading the original text, there would not be a break there between chapter 3 and chapter 4. The discussion would have continued right on. So let's just read it as if it was... Actually, if you were reading it from the original transcript, here's what it would read. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward a hundred. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let's go to the throne of grace and ask God. Brother Scott, how about you praying, brother? Yes. Amen. We looked last week on why temptation matters. We looked at the four stages of temptation. Tonight I want to go another step into that with that thought in mind. With this question, who are you? Now, before we wrestle with temptation in our life, first of all, we've got to see the horror of what it really is. And then we'll see the glory of how Jesus triumphed over temptation. That's what we just read. Chapter number four is when the Lord was 
led up into the wilderness to be tempted. And of course, he won victory for all of us. I'm glad he walked out to the wilderness and onto the stairway uh, and fought temptation and praised God come out victorious over this matter. But tonight, as we think about temptation, the first Satan's first quest of all temptation is this, is identity. Identity. You'll find that James 1, 9 said, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But then in verse number 10 he said, But the rich, in that he is made low, because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. Here's what James is saying. James understood temptation and the illusion that people have about themselves. He was simply saying this. He said, he said, if you are a brother of low degree, he said, don't live there, but rejoice in the fact that God will exalt you. But if you're rich, he said, don't go in there because one day you're going to die and meet God. Has the ideal, it has the ideal of this. I'm not, I'm better than anyone else, so I'm entitled. Or I'm good for nothing, so why care? And it all speaks to this ideal of identity. And it's, it's amazing because on three separate accounts we want to look at tonight, the Lord addressed first thing He addressed concerning temptation was this thing of identity. Now, first of all, we see it in a person. If you have your Bible, go back to Genesis chapter number 1. Of course, Genesis being the beginning, being the seed of you young people. I hope you got your Bible tonight and you're turning to Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1. Now, if you'll pay attention tonight, I will teach you something that will be absolutely invaluable. And I do hope you can find Genesis chapter 1. Amen? Genesis chapter number 1. Verse 27, first of all, the beginning, all temptations started right here and it started in a person concerning identity. Listen to what the Bible says. So God created man, verse 27, in his own image and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them and blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish yours earth and subdue it and notice this statement and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Boy the tree huggers would hate this message. Amen. God said that we are to have God created Adam and Eve with dominion over everything that was in the garden. Every bird, all the fish, every creeping thing. But I want you to notice something. In verse number 3, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now we know who he is. He's a beast of the field. 
And notice what the Bible says. He was something more crafty than any of the other beasts. God had given them dominion. God had said, you, you've got, you're in charge. Adam, Eve, you're in charge. You're, you've, got, you've got the dominion over all of this. But when this beast of the field, this serpent, comes on the scene, he begins to address her as if he's in charge. He doesn't have dominion. He's a beast of the field. And here comes this serpent that's more subtle than any beast of the field. God's reminding us he's a beast of the field. That which God has already given them dominion over. And he comes and he says, did God really say that? Here is a beast of the field. She walks up and immediately he addresses her identity. He swaps roles with her. He, he, he literally moves her from the role of dominion to role of him being in charge and her listening to him. Isn't it amazing? And I mean, it's amazing how he did this. And his intent was not only to the fact of the matter, his intent was he had to move her on her identity. She, the first thing she should have said was, Hey, beast of the field, I'm talking to you. I don't take orders from you. You don't, you don't call the shots. God calls the shots, amen, not you. And he has to begin by addressing the identity. And what he did was this. He moved her from having dominion to being like one of the beasts of the field. Literally, he moved her identity. You realize that tonight, as a child of God, Satan is constantly wanting to move you from your identity. And don't miss this. He'll send people around you and they'll say, Who do you think you are? You're a Christian. You think you're something special, don't you? Well, by the way, you are. Hallelujah. If you're a child of the king, you are something special. Amen. You're one of his giants. And he comes and he begins to move her in this thing of identity. The snake prompted her to eat of the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden. And the tree somehow, and it had the ability to do this, had the ability to give the knowledge of good and evil. Now here's what the serpent persuaded her. He started with the identity. He had to, he had to move her from her thinking that she's not in charge He's in charge. And then he comes and he says this. He persuaded her that God had robbed her. And my, how he does that today. How many, how many believe that God has 
rob them of something in life. Can I just, can I remind you, God ain't robbed you of anything. Satan's the one that's robbed you. If you don't get anything else tonight, I hope you'll get this. No matter what kind of image the Satan paints for your heart, the reality of that will never meet the image. The, the reality of what Satan paints for you, I, I, it'd be amazing tonight if we just knew how many individuals that, that's gotten in an adulterous affair were Satan. And, and, and by, by the way, just, just throw this out, Sometimes we get this ideal that uh, an adulterous affair takes a sexual act. Sex ain't, sometimes they got a thing to do with it. Sometimes it's when we give our affections and our heart to someone when we shouldn't. Miss Steins owns my heart. God and Miss Steins, and that's it. Nobody else. I, I owe my, I, I have no right to give my affection to anyone else. No matter circumstances. But what happens is Satan paints us an image. And all of a sudden, now, he'll do two things to, to every one of us. Number one, he'll lead you to thinking you're a God. What do I mean by that? Well, praise God, we serve God all week long. We, we, we tithe, we do this, we do that, we do this. I tell you what's the truth. I, I do, I've done all of this. I've built this, I've built this, I've built this. So I'm entitled, I'm entitled to that which God has said you shouldn't have. I mean, I've served God for 25, 30 years. I've done this. I, I've, I, I've, I've done, I built this great ministry. I'm thinking about a preacher now. He took a ministry of 5,000 to over 10,000. Tremendous ministry. Built a new church. I, I'm entitled. I do this and I do this and I do this for God and I do this for God and I do this for God and I do this for God. So I'm entitled to that which God says is sin. You've just made yourself a little G God. That's one identity that he does. And he uses that one a lot. Second identity he does is this. Well, I'll just tell you what's the truth. I can't do nothing right. I'm just so sorry. I'm just good for nothing. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just worthless. I ain't good for nothing. And nobody cares. No, I'm just well, I'm good for nothing. I failed at everything. So I'll just sin. What matters? What difference does it matter? I'll just sin. Now he's made you a beast, an animal. And that's not so either. Oh, let me help you tonight. Let me help you tonight. You're not God, and you're not an animal. Praise God, God took man. God took man and breathed into man the breath of life. And man become a living soul. Oh, I'm almost about afraid to say this because I, I know some people, they, they love their dogs and that's okay. I'm glad you do. Amen. I'm, I'm thrilled you do. But I, 
I hate to tell you this. Your dog don't have a living soul. Amen. And, and, and it's probably not going to go to heaven. That's going to be trouble for some of you. You might want to stuff it and sit up in the casket with you. Whatever you got to do. But the truth is, God, you got God, mankind, the animal kingdom. We're here in the middle. And Satan is trying to move our identity into one or two of those places. To move you into a God. I deserve this. I come to church every week. I, 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 I tithe regularly. I attend Sunday school. I do all of these things. So I'm entitled to this affair. I'm entitled to this sin. I'm entitled to this. I had a preacher friend, an article I read. He, he visited a man, a very large ministry. On Sunday morning, his girlfriend would come and see him before church time. And they'd go into a room. And his friend asked him, said, Man, how in God's name can you do that? He said, I never let those two worlds come together. Well, guess what happened? The day came, them two worlds come together. There's a mess. And a lot of people destroyed, and Satan's in the corner laughing because he paints an image that's not true because he's a liar and the father of it. Or he paints this picture. Why, you're just like an animal. Why, you ain't good for nothing. Why, you're sorry. You're going to sin anyway, so you're going to fail at anything. You can't do nothing right, so you just go ahead and sin. And that's wrong too. He's moving that identity. See what I'm saying? That's what he did with Eve. He said, Eve, he's a beast of the field. And he said, Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? She had to move her on her identity. Now, let me show you another account. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn, if you would, to uh, Exodus chapter 27. Exodus chapter 27. That's 26 verses over from chapter 1. Amen? Exodus chapter 27, verse number 18. What I want you to see tonight is this. I want you to see Satan's pattern has never changed. I want you to see, dear Christian, that tonight you and I are not an exception to his pattern. He still uses the same pattern that he did in the beginning. In chapter 27, we find, of course, we understand that when it comes to a people, that Israel... God's chosen people, the people that he chose to, he promised to bless and that the world would be blessed through him started with one man. One man. His name was Jacob, God's wrestler. But listen, in verse 27, verse 18, he came unto his father and said, now God had told him, let me back up and because I, I realize we may have some young Christians who may not understand this story. So let me just give it to you, the, the capsule version. 
This dear lady had twin boys. His name was Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, Esau was the oldest and Jacob was the youngest. Esau was red all over. He was a hairy man. And they called him, he, he probably had the nickname Red. But he was a hunter. And his, his, father, his father loved him because, don't miss this, his father by nature was a very selfish man. His, his father liked him because he could go hunt some deer and bring it home and fix it. And so the father said, he said, Son, go kill me some venison, bring it and fix it, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the blessing of the birthright. In that day, in that day, the birthright went to the oldest. When the old man would die, then the oldest son would become the spiritual leader of that family. Mama hears this in the room, and she loves Jacob. She makes, she takes on Jacob. Jacob's a smooth man. He's a smooth man. I would be considered a smooth man. I'm, I'm not a very real hairy man. But he was a smooth man. But he was a mama's boy. Jacob wore lace on his shorts. Amen. And uh, uh, I don't think our, our Jake does. I've seen him play football. The way he hit them fellas, there was no lace on his shorts. Amen. Anyway. But Jacob had lace on his shorts, and he was a mama's boy. Mama said, son, said, son, we're not going to do that. Let me stop here and just say this. God didn't need her help to do what he wanted done. Are you listening? God could have handled this thing all by himself. But she, she put hair on, his, on him. She put Esau's clothes, and he comes in and listens to what he says. Now, this is Jacob talking. He came into his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am. Here what, here's, here's, here's a question of identity. And who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. And I've done according as thou baddest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat my venison, that thy soul may bless me. He went on to say, Jacob went near to his father, Isaac, his father, and he felt him. Stop out there. Time out. You better be careful trusting what you can feel. He felt him. A feeling to get you in trouble. And felt him. Listen to what he said. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And here's what he said. He said, Art thou my very son Esau, and Jacob, that deceiving, that rascal? And he said, I am. He's lying through his teeth. He's not, he's not him. And notice, this whole story started with identity. And Satan moved Jacob on his identity. He's not Esau, he's Jacob. He's a crook. He's a deceiver. 
And Satan moved him on his identity. From that point on, for the next 20 years, he's deceiving and he's being deceived. Could you imagine, fellas, this? He meets Rachel, man, it's love at first sight, drop dead gorgeous. Wow, man, he, I'll work seven years for him. And in that day, they would have a big meal, party-like meal, and then at night, you would go into a tent, it would be dark, and the next morning he woke up and he said, Wow! Where's Rachel? He had his sister, Leah. Now, there ain't no other way of putting it. The Bible is kind. It called her tender-eyed. It called her a lot of things. But the truth of the matter was, she just didn't have the beauty of Rachel. That's all you can make out of it. And, he, and, and he's being deceived. He's angry. Why'd you do this? So he works another seven years for Rachel. Being deceived and deceived. And being, he deceives and he's being deceived. You're going to find, now notice, Satan believed he had destroyed the hope of a nation for God being birthed. He had moved Jacob to lie. He had moved Jacob on his identity. Don't, he moved him on his identity. He had to lie about who he was. By the way, who are you? Who are you tonight? And he comes, and it's amazing. The day comes after 20 years, God says, Hey, Jacob, time to go home, boy. So he goes home, and he gets word. Esau's coming with 400 men, and he's still ticked. Because he lost a blessing in the birthright. Don't you kid yourself this. You read your Bible. Esau would have took him out in a heartbeat. The nature of Esau never did change. The nature of Esau's crooked. He's wicked. And Esau would have killed him. But God showed up. And Esau and said, you better not lay a hand on him. You better not lay a hand on him. Boy, I like that. Amen. You better not lay a hand on him. And so Jacob gets over there, and I, 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 it's, it's one of the most hilarious stories. He takes his whole family. He takes, a, he takes some wives that have been servants, that he got wives, handmaids. He put all their kids and them up front. Then he puts the wife that he don't like is good next in line. But then he puts the one that he really loves back here at the back. So if Esau kills all of them, this crowd can run and get away. And he sends gifts, one after another and after another and after another. But while he's doing all of this, God takes him and puts him in a wrestling match. And I believe that that is, I, I think that that is a literally a theophany I believe he wrestled with Jesus all night. I believe, he, I believe that was a form of Jesus. I believe he wrestled with him all night. Bible calls him an angel. And he wrestled with him all night long. And about that time, they ain't got, just got tired of it, touched his thigh. 
Now you've got, you've got Jacob just hanging on. That's all he can do. He can't fight no more. He's hanging on. Don't miss this. You have to get there. You're probably in a good place with God. And you're just hanging on. The Lord said, What is your name? The last time Jacob had heard that, it was an earthly daddy over here wanting to bless him with a birthright. And devil moved him to lie. But over here wrestling with God, what is your name? The first thing God did was, who are you? Jacob said, I'm Jacob. You know what he's just saying? Lord, I ain't been nothing but a deceiver, a crook, a weasel. He said, I've done, he said, my name tells you everything there is about me. And Jesus said, today, it's not going to be Jacob no more, but it'll be Israel. Israel was birthed after first, the right identity was made. What's your name? Jacob. He said, it'll be Israel now because you prevailed with God and with man. And Israel was birthed when the identity got right. Just like in the garden. Satan lost that bid at the beginning, but he lost to here to God when he's harassing. Now, we want to go back to chapter 3 of Matthew. Jesus walks up to John the Baptist. He says, John, I need to be baptized. John said, no, no, sir, no, no, Lord, no, no. I can't do that. Jesus said, oh, yes, you can, and you will. What you have to understand When Jesus was baptized that day, he was relating to you and I to have to die out to our sins, be raised in newness of life. Now, he didn't have to die out to his sin, but to relate to me and to relate to you. He said, John, you're going to have to baptize me. But whenever he's baptized and he comes out of the water, What was the first thing that God in heaven did? Have you been listening? Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well... What did God in heaven do? He identified him to who he was. I want you to know, boy, Satan, he hated that. Because God in heaven identified him as to who he was. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And while his hair is still wet, he's led into the wilderness. And he's there tempted for 40 days. And the Bible says he got hungry. You know why? Because he was robed in flesh, just like you and I have. I've known one preacher, one preacher that fasted for 40 days. One preacher. 
he said, uh, he said, it's a challenge. For 40 days, he fasted. But he went in for 40 days, and he was hungry. And what's the first question that Satan asked him? Listen what he said. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Have you ever wondered why he didn't turn the stones into bread? Does everybody agree he could have? Is that by an agreement there? Have you ever wondered why he never? He didn't have to. He's already being identified. There's no if in front of his name. There's no if thou be the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He does not have to prove to Satan anything. That will help some of us here tonight. We don't have to prove to this, this, this hellish world anything. You don't have to prove who you are. If you are who you are, they're going to know it. Now they're going to always come, if you're really a Christian, why don't you do this? If you're really saved, why don't you do this? How many ever heard that? Well, if you're really a Christian, you'd pay my bills. You know what? You forget the ifs. If when you are a Christian, you don't have to prove that to anybody. You don't have to. There's no ifs in front of it. You don't have to debate it. I love this. John Christendom said, was writing up the word then is crucial, crucially significant here. It's only then that Jesus went to the desert. It's only then, it's only then when Satan comes, if thou be the Son of God, hold it. Can I ask you a question? Why do we have to prove to a lost world or to the devil something God the Holy Ghost has already told us we have? God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You don't need nothing else. Praise God. As a 11-year-old boy that I could go back to church, Jesus said, whosoever, let me me, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I recognize I was a sinner. I by no fashion altar. I said, Jesus, I ain't got a thing to bring but myself, but would you save me? He said, Praise God. I done said a word. I don't need nothing else. I don't have to prove nothing to this world. If you are who you say you are, who are you? It's amazing. This pattern, it never, it, it's all, it's through this whole Bible. He's got to move you. You know what? If you are a Christian, Satan has to move you in your identity if he gets you to sin. I know, and no ifs, 
I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, and I know I'm one of his children. Now, if I turn out to be an adulterer or a thief or a liar, if I turn into anything like that, he's got to move me from my identity. Because if you're a son of God, you're not going to be a thief. You know, someone said, well, bless God, you're saved by God's grace. That's a license to sin. No, if you're saved by God's grace, you're not going to want to sin. There's not going to be a desire there to sin because you've got to move from your identity, from your identity. One of the, one of the reasons I, I like the Gideons and the work they do, they put Bibles they put Bibles in motel rooms. And they've got thousands of testimonies where people have got hooked up for a, an, an adulterous affair in a motel room and see a Bible. And while they're waiting on the party, open up the Bible and realize, my goodness, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. What in God's name am I doing here? am I doing here? Now to do that, to do that, Satan has got to lie to you and say, well, my husband don't love me. He don't show me any attention. He's always, he don't do this, he don't do that. And so you deserve an adulterous affair. Makes you a God. You deserve after all, you keep the house and young, you do all of this kind. You deserve that. So he makes you a God. Or he does this. Why you why you're not saved, you're not really you ain't good for nothing. You ain't what you're worthless. Why you 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 fell at everything you do anyway. So you just go ahead and sin. It don't hurt, it don't hurt you. You'll get by with it. Nobody will ever catch you. You'll get by with it. Well, don't you, you would believe. How, I don't know why I'm on this, but, but I'm here. So how, how many of you, what, when it, what, would you go into a fair if you knew you was going to get caught? Duh. If you would, just come see me afterwards. We're going to get you some help. You need some help. Nobody goes into a sin knowing they're going to get caught. They go in believing the lie that they're not going to get caught. But it's a lie. And it moves you on your identity. And then whenever he has, whenever he has wore you out, you know what he's going to do? He's going to leave you there. And say, there, I told you. He's going to laugh at you. And then all of a sudden, you'll realize, my God, what have I done? Now listen to me. How, don't, don't miss this. Praise God. He forgives. He forgives. But don't miss this. There's some things 
you can lose listening to that lie that you'll never get back. As a preacher friend of mine had one of the most accomplished ministries I've ever known. When he gets out of jail, when he gets out of jail, I said when he gets out of jail, he may even try to preach again. Wouldn't surprise me. He'll probably write a book. Probably even sell a few of them. I might buy it myself to see what he has to say. <laughs> out of curiosity. I don't see what that's trying to say. I, I don't see what, how, 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 how he's going to smooth this and over it. But you know what the truth is? He'll never, he'll never get what he had had he kept his identity. He would never got that back. As a preacher in our area, not, not too far from here, he had probably one of the most, one of the, one of, one of the greatest youth ministries that I've ever seen. I mean, he, he had hundreds of young people that, that believed, in, believed in him. And I mean, everything, but that rascal had an affair. And now, now, you, does God forgive? Yes, God forgives. Hallelujah. Hey, by the way, it's going to shock some of you. God forgives preachers too. Just like he forgives doctors and lawyers and, and boss men and, and all the rest. Hey, by the way, he, he forgives pastors just like he forgives you. But I'm just saying this. Right now he pastors a little old church, but it'll, it's, 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 a, it's a drop in a bucket. And Satan laughs at him. But he had to move him on his identity. I told people this all the time. And uh, we, we give out church signs several years ago. And I told him, I said, you got my church sign on now. I'm a, I'm a member of Salt Rock Baptist Church. Don't go to, to the liquor store. You know what? I don't want to be identified with that. I, I love this one fellow. He left here and went to another church. And for years, he had that sign on the front of his car at this other church. And, and I finally sent words. I said, tell me when to take that sign off. It'll be Okay. I wonder tonight, when our identities, when he moves us from our identity. See, Adam and Eve, when their identity was lost, they cringed and were hiding the sound of God. Israel trembled in the desert in front of the glowing mountain, begging not to hear the voice of God, saying, God, God, let us not talk with God lest we die. But Jesus stands there unafraid at the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And the victory he won that day, he gave to every single one of us over temptation. If thou be the Son of God, turn these rocks into bread, stones into bread. He said, it is written, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know what he gave us? You know what he gave us? You know what Jesus used to, to defeat his temptation? This book, the same one you hold in your hand here tonight. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't perform no miracles. He didn't do anything. See, that's exactly, that's exactly the factory farm I told you last week about the how to kill cows with kindness 
They treat them like their pets and companions. They even lead them to think they're free. They don't even recognize that they're future hamburgers. Don't even recognize it. See, I, I believe identity confusion is a reason people are not able to discern sometimes the right and wrong. Most people are not going to choose fiery tempers or alcoholic binges. Most people don't first conclude that adultery is right, then fantasize about their neighbor. Instead, they slowly grow to believe that your situation is exceptional. I'm a God. My situation gives me the right. My situation is I'm the exceptional. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't think, if you don't think, if you think, if you, if you have this mindset, well, bless God, preacher, that wouldn't happen to me. You're the very one he's looking for. Better men than me and you have been saved for years on end, taught Sunday school, lived for God. And when it come time for identity, Satan led them to believe because of a circumstance or situation, I'm the exception. So I have a right. I'm a God. I have a right to sin. And I'm honest with you, he's a liar. Then, or he leads you to believe you're powerless. I simply can't overcome this temptation. I, I just can't help it. I, I just got to do I just can't help it. So I'm an animal, and I'm going to escape accountability. You won't say, you shall not surely die, Satan said, but they did. So tonight you need to understand something. You're not a beast, but you're not a god. What you are, if you're saved, is a son of God, Saved by the marvelous grace of God, and that, and we are a son of God, saved by the marvelous grace of God, and that's what we are. Or at least, that's what I am. Who are you? Who are you? We need a Christianity. That says, now my, my life, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this illustration, and, and I'm, I'm done. I, I practically go nowhere. It's, it's amazing. I, I can go just about anywhere I go. I'm reckon I, somebody knows me. I mean, no matter where I go, no matter, it just makes no difference. Uh, I, I just, I see people all the time. Hey, preacher, how you doing? I'm good. And I'm sitting there thinking, who in God's name is that? And, and what I'm doing now is, forgive me, I know your face. 
I know your face, but who are you? I seen old Pat Wilson just the other day. Wouldn't have known her for nothing or money. But I knew her face. And because of that, there is an identity attached to my, to my life. So no matter where I go, I'm going to be identified. Don't miss this. Before I got the title of pastor, I had a greater identity. I was a child of the king. And as a child of the king, there's a God that's always watching our lives. He watches us at home. He watches us in the midnight hour. He watches us when we're by ourselves. He watches you when you're home on that computer by yourself. He watches us all the time. And if we recognize our identity, I'm a child of God. I can't be doing this. I'm not going to do that. Satan's a liar. So the question is, who are you? We'll move on in this thought next week. Let's all stand our feet.